Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Have you ever read a passage in the Bible and then said, what? Why did God do that? Well, for some, Genesis chapter 2 contains a few verses that have generated just such a response. It has to do with a certain tree placed in a certain garden. Here to explain is Dr. Tim Jennings via Skype. Dr. Jennings, I have to admit that I am one of those what people. Help us out here. So this is a question we get quite frequently from people who ask things like, why was the tree put there? See, it doesn't make sense to me. Why would a God of love put a tree that could cause them to die in the garden? It'd be kind of like sending your child out to the playground and putting a candy bar with poison in it. This is kind of how it's often framed and thought of by a lot of people. We get questions like this a lot. And so first thing in understanding this tree, we have to understand reality. And that means we have to understand God's law versus human law. Always come back to this question. God is the creator. He builds reality. His laws are the laws upon which reality operate, laws of physics, laws of health, and the moral laws, so forth. We can't build reality, so we make up rules, and then we threaten to punish people who break our rules. These are imposed laws. Mm -hmm. Now, if we consider the tree of knowledge of good and evil through design law or imposed law, we come to quite different conclusions. If we accept the lie and consider it through imposed law, then we look at the tree of knowledge and our trust in God is undermined. And in fact, this is exactly how Satan got Adam and Eve to fall in Eden. He tricked them in regarding the law of God. And I want to show you that before we explain the purpose of the tree, okay? Mm -hmm. So Satan, after a little bit of a dialogue, says his big lie to Eve, you will not surely die if you eat of this tree. You will not die if you eat of this tree. What is implied here in this declaration? Did Satan say this? If you eat of this tree, it is impossible for God. In fact, he's not even capable of executing you for your crime. God can't do that. Is that what what Satan said? No. He didn't say that. He said, you will not surely die. In other words, he's saying that the fruit is not harmful. You'll become like God. I can speak myself from this. I'm proof that this thing doesn't hurt you. So notice the subtle lie embedded into the lie, you will not surely die. The lie is this, nothing harmful will happen to you from eating this fruit. The action itself won't cause death. And yet God has said you will surely die. So if the act of eating won't harm you, but you will die, then what's the conclusion? God's going to kill you. Aha. Uh-huh. And what kind of law requires the ruling authority to inflict the punishment? Mm-hmm. Imposed law. Yeah. So embedded in here is where Satan first introduces into human psyche the lie that God's law works like human law, system of rules that righteously require the ruling authority to punish rule breaking. And how much of people still read this Genesis account viewing it? through that law. Well, they broke the rule. Now God was required, but he loved them too much. So Jesus stepped in and he's going to take the punishment. But the whole thing is fraudulently understood through this idea of God was testing whether they'd be loyal or not. And he'd punish them if he wasn't. The moment we take it out of that and put it under the umbrella of design law, somehow it's how reality functions. 
And consider for a moment, God doesn't do things without purpose. So here's this tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden, and it was not a rule that if they broke, God would be forced to take an action to punish them. But then what, what would God try to achieve? What's his goal? What's he want for them? Think about that just for a few seconds. Well, let me ask you this. What meaning do you take away from the name of the tree, hmm. the tree of knowledge of good and evil? You see, knowing, this is the tree of knowing reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is where Adam and Eve would decide what they know. In John chapter 17, Jesus says that life eternal is to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Is knowing God and Jesus merely cognitive? factual, information, data. No, it's not. In the Bible, to know means to have an intimate experience with. Think of the difference between reading a biography about somebody, knowing about them, Mm -hmm. versus actually knowing them as their friend. Mm -hmm. Or what's the difference between knowing how to swim and knowing about swimming? (laughs) A big difference, yes. Okay? (laughs) So the tree of knowledge of good and evil wasn't a place of theoretical knowledge or cognitive knowledge or academic knowledge. God and the angels had already informed Adam and Eve about Satan, about evil, about death. They had been instructed. They had factual knowledge, but mere facts was not what the tree was about. This was about the experience of knowing either good or evil. They would choose what they would know. Believe God and know good. Believe the devil and know evil. So God says to them this, it is at this tree you will have knowledge. Mm-hmm. So choose well. Choose not to partake of the fruit, and you will know good. You will know love. You will know trust. You will know loyalty, devotion, maturity, integrity, joy, peace, godliness. All of this will solidify in your character. So please, my beautiful children, choose to know good. But if you choose to partake of the fruit, you will know evil. You will know fear, selfishness, insecurity, guilt, shame, distrust, pain, suffering, and death. So please, my beautiful children, don't choose to know evil. See, God already knew evil, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not in his character, but in his heart, as his heavenly home had already been fractured, and he was already mm-hmm. suffering the heartache of betrayal, of disaffection, of rebellion, of being lied about, of the loss of his brilliant angels. God did not want humankind to know this kind of pain and suffering or heartache. He wanted humankind to know only good. But this requires them to choose to trust God, to choose the good in order for them to know the good. Mm-hmm. There was nothing poisonous in the fruit. It was merely fruit. The danger was in not trusting God and choosing to believe the lie, and thus they came to know evil. That's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But God did not leave them with the knowledge of evil. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that we might actually know good, know God, and be restored to eternal life again.
Would I be right in saying, Dr. Jennings, that every one of us every day is standing before a tree of knowledge of good and evil? Don't we make the choice every day to not eat of the fruit of evil? Am I right in saying that? I think you have a principle in general, not in the same way Adam and Eve had. Adam and Eve had within their own strength as free sentient beings, the power to exercise their God-given authority over themselves to choose good, Mm -hmm. to know good by experience, and to form a perfectly righteous, holy, godly character without external aid from the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We do not have that ability. Once Adam and Eve fell and knew evil, every human being born in sin, conceived in iniquity, and the power of evil in us is so strong, we don't have the power to resist it unaided by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came and took up humanity, damaged or broken by Adam, and became the second Adam, not the second Charles, Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm, second mm -hmm, Adam. mm -hmm. And he was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. And he chose to know as a human being good. And he also knew in his person the temptation of evil, but he did not know in his character the participation with evil. Mm -hmm. Thus he suffered under the weight and the pain and the suffering of evil, but he did not participate in character. So he knew in character only good, and thus he became the source of salvation for all who obey him. We are born because of God's grace with the knowledge or the experience of fear and selfishness in our hearts that tempt us, but God's Spirit is working in our hearts to give us a desire for the good. We don't know the good until we choose to respond to the Spirit's moving, then we can choose to know the only true God, Jesus Christ, and our sent, and that will then free us from the domination of the evil fear and selfishness. When I look at the life of Christ, I realize, maybe for the first time, and other people may feel the same way, that good is possible. It's possible to live a life here on this bad place as a good person. When I say good person, I mean with the truth in your heart, not simply doing good things, but have the truth in your heart. Christ demonstrated to me that good is possible here. Am I right in saying that? You are correct. Through the power of God, working through what Christ did. Uh, achieved and the Holy Spirit applying into the hearts of people. And so to the degree you ever see true goodness, true altruism, true love operating in the world, it is an evidence of God working in humanity or the people who are doing the good. Even if those people haven't actually given them affirmative claim to believe in Jesus. The only way good is possible is through the movements of the Holy Spirit working in hearts and minds. Well, let me ask you a question. Did my explanation answer your questions regarding why God put the tree there? Yes, it did. It was there to solidify them in eternal perfection and loyalty, because God can create sinless beings, as he did the angels in heaven, and as he did Adam and Eve in Eden, but God cannot create mature character. The sinless being, or in our case, the sinful being, has to evaluate for themselves and make a decision. Do we, as sinful beings here today, surrender to Jesus Christ, open our heart for the indwelling spirit to heal and fix the brokenness in us? Did Adam and Eve evaluate the truth that God presented in contrast to the lies Satan presented and decide for themselves 
whether they would choose to know the good in their character, in their hearts, and thus become beings of righteousness or not. God could not create that character for them. They had to choose it. Sadly, they chose to know evil and became infected with it. Through Jesus Christ, who chose to know the good, we can become partakers of the divine nature, as Peter says, and thus be restored to good. Let me ask you a quick question. We have about two minutes left here. Was the tree of knowledge of good and evil necessary? I mean, did it have to be there or we would not have a loving God and a loving potential society? It was necessary after Lucifer rebelled. It was not necessary prior to Lucifer's rebellion because there was no question. Once the liar began to raise questions, then people had to be given an opportunity to evaluate and decide for themselves which method, which principle, who were they going to believe? Were they going to believe the truth as God revealed in all of his creation, or were they going to believe the lies? And thus, which way were they going to solidify and which character were they going to form? Well, it just seems to me that we're standing before the tree of knowledge of good and evil every day of our lives, that we have choices to be made here. We have decisions that will affect not only today, but eternal life. Am I right in saying that? We all have that because of what Jesus has done. We're all given the opportunity to choose life or to choose death. All those who choose Christ receive eternal life as a gift of God, but all those who reject that truth, mm-hmm. what Christ has provided, mm-hmm. will reap what they were born with. We are born in sin, conceived in iniquity. We are, yeah. we are dead in trespass and sin. It's not that God will kill them. It's that the condition, the terminal sin condition, will not be remedied in them, and thus they die of unremedied sin with which they were born. Listener, I invite you to the website, commonreason.com, the books, could it be this simple, The Aging Brain, The God-Shaped Heart, and The God-Shaped Brain. Also, there are sharing tracks and Bible studies and something called The Remedy. I'd like for you to stop by and look at that. The Remedy, all available at comeandreason.com. Oh, Dr. Jennings, I have to say, talking with you drains me sometimes, but it's in a good way, and I appreciate your words of wisdom today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.